Welcome to the North Georgia Revival and our first session of our second annual Pastors and Leaders Conference. If you're here for the Pastors and Leaders Conference, can I just see your hand? We're so glad you are here from all over the world. Come on. It's so good. It's so good. Before we get started tonight, we're going to take just a few minutes. We're going to close the doors. If you'll stand to your feet and, and get your word and before, you know, grab your word and, and then bring it. We're gonna have a special guest come out tonight and read for us at the top of service, but before we do that, we wanna invite all of you, if you're willing, just to meet us down at the front. After he's done, we're gonna go into a time of worship, so don't wait, come now, and then if you'll give it up for Pastor Larry Rokin from Louisiana. ISN Network. It's so good to be here at this conference, isn't it? I want to read a scripture to you. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation how many? All creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will, these signs will, come on now, these signs will, yeah, accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all, at all. They will place their hands on the sick and they will get well. <laughs> oh yeah, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. Say everywhere. <laughs> Say everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his words by signs that accompanied it. Little, little testimony. Sure. I pastor a church in Louisiana, Paulina, Louisiana. I came here February the 24th, was slain in the spirit right over there. I could mark it with a marks a lot. I went into the healing waters and my back was healed. I was, wait a minute, let me tell you how bad it was. It was, I had no cartilage, degenerative vertebrae in the lower 12 inches of my back. I was in pain all the time on four 10 milligram hydrocodone every day. Couldn't miss my, my medicine. People say, what? Can you do something you couldn't do before? Yeah, I can stand. I was healed in the healing waters, had no withdrawals. Say with me, no withdrawals. Oh, oh, come on, get out of town. Is that something? Mm-mm-mm. Want to invite everybody to come on up here, yeah? That's how we talk in Louisiana. Come on up here, yeah, because we're going to worship the Lord. 
Y'all ready to come on up here, yeah, and worship the Lord? Let's do it. Are still being moved. 
the front to the back, sing
God bless your name in this house, in your house, Jesus. You're so worthy. Holy Spirit, have your way. Even gone to it. 
When I'm flying 
there's so many times that we get distracted and we feel like we just, we have to do something in our own strength. When in reality, all we have to do is worship Him and rest in His presence. We don't have to try to make things happen in our own strength. We don't have to strive. All we have to do is just sing our way right back into His presence. Worship our way right back into His presence. Come on, just with your hands held high tonight, let's just sing that out. I'm singing my way back. Oh yeah. I'm singing my way back. 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 Oh, yes. I'm singing my way back. I'm singing. that same spot where he touched you last time. Pushing our way in. Pressing our way in. And he has an invitation for you tonight. He says, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you want me to do for you? It's a personal invitation from him. From the King of Glory. He says, what's your name? Where are you from? He wants to commune with you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to carry on a conversation with you. What's your name? Where are you from? 
What do you want me to do for you tonight? That's what he's asking you. Here we are, 80 weeks in. Get asked all the time. As we travel and we communicate, we correspond with people all over the nation. They say, is that thing still going on? Is that thing still going on? And my response is, I'm not trying to be rude or anything like that, but when they say, is that thing still going on? I'm like, mountains are still being moved. Um, Strongholds are still being loosed. Bodies are still being raised. (laughs) Giants are still being slain. Yes, we believe it. Come on, he's not done yet. Yes, Bodies. <laughs> Come on, lift your hands all over the room. He's here. He's here. of worship. Let that laptop become a beacon of hope for you. Come on, you're not separated from us. You're here with us. Don't be a spectator. Be a participator. Wherever you're looking in from, wherever you're streaming in from, ISN, Facebook Live, you are alive because he is here for you. Jesus is ready to move in your life. He's ready to sit down in that room and raise you up. Raise you up. Jesus move in that home. As we transition, would you turn around to that camera right there? They've been praying for us. How about we pray for all those that are at home? How about those that are in the Middle East, all over the world watching by Facebook Live and YouTube channels and ISN? We thank God for Sid Roth and ISN Network. And we thank you, Jesus, that supernatural things are moving into the homes of those people who are watching right now. As we stretch forth our hands and minister to you and pray for you, My God, healing is here for you. Deliverance is right there for you. Just grab hold of it. Receive it tonight. Week 80, on week 80 of the North Georgia Revival, let the breath of God rush in. 
like a rushing wind. Jesus, breathe again. Ha. We're with you and you're with us. My God in heaven, he is still here. Would you put your hands together for the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Lily of the Valley, bright morning star, Jesus, the healer, Jesus, Messiah, Jesus, deliverer, Jesus, your seat would you just welcome someone to week 80 of the north georgia revival let them know tonight is the night god is going to meet with them in such an incredible and powerful way such an honor to have you with us on this Sunday evening. You could have chosen to be anywhere, but you chose to be here. And may God honor that. Ushers, would you go ahead and come forward as we prepare to receive an offering before the word is brought tonight. If you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 126 very quickly. Psalm 126. I have the honor of being on staff and serving with this great team here at Christ Fellowship Church and part of the host pastors. Host pastors, would you stand? All of the host pastors of the North Georgia Revival, would you stand quickly? Thank you. We love you. We love you. Psalm 126, as you prepare to give tonight, it's, it's week 80 and the expenses, they don't slow down at all. It's like they just keep building and more things need to be added and we want to accommodate you so well when you get here that we want to make sure, number one, you have air conditioning in the summertime. Hello, somebody. We want to make sure that you've got changing stations for when you get baptized, you can be in changing stations and have your personal space where you can, you can change. We want to make sure you have the undergarments and the scrubs, all the grave clothes that you need. And so um, I want to give you an opportunity to partner with us tonight in this great awakening, in this great move. Psalm 126 says this. I'm reading out the King James Version for one specific reason because there's a word I want to focus on. Psalm 126, when the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. How many would say the Lord has done great things for me in this house? The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I want to focus on that one word or two that join together. Precious. Precious seed. One version says, he that goes out weeping bears a trail of seed. How significant it is this, that, that for you, 
and your children and your children's children. Let it be said of, of, of us, from our children and our children's children, that they could tell where our heart was from the trail of seeds that we left. I want to leave a trail of seed wherever I've been. You may be here from, from Taiwan or Germany or Alaska or the people I met from Iowa. You may be from all over. And I want people to, to see a trail of seed where I've been where I put precious seed. We understand it's precious. And what precious means to you may be $3 tonight. It may be $30, whatever it is, but it's, but it's precious to you. And may you be able to leave a trail where you've been of precious seed and partner with us here on week 80 of the North Georgia Revival. Would you do that all over the room as we stand, as we prepare to give this evening? I want to sow precious seed into good ground and so, Father, tonight, we take what's in our bag, the seed that's in our bag. Lord, we don't just scatter it out there, but we sow it into soil that has been plowed up. And it's ripe for the seed and the harvest to come. We thank you for every giver tonight. We ask you to open up the windows of heaven for them, that such a blessing would come to them that they could not hold it back. They would have to share with their family members and their friends and whoever you laid upon their heart to give to. We sow precious seed this evening in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you worship as you give this evening? Sow that precious seed. Want to make some uh, something aware for you. There's some resources out there in the in the lobby. And not only is this week 80 of the North Georgia Revival but it's also session one of our Pastors and Leaders Conference. If you're a pastor or leader that you're attending the North Georgia Revival Pastors and Leaders Conference, would you just wave your hand in the air? If this is, look at there, all over. They came from all over. Probably 100 to 150 of you, and then tomorrow there'll be another 150 to 200 of you coming in from all over the nation, all over the world. I believe we've got Australia coming and Africa's coming, and so all over the world. There's two books that are out there on the on a table. One is he sat down. We believe that this is one of the catalysts for the revival that happened here February of last year when God uh, chose to sit down in this place. Pastor Todd had an incredible, uh, incredible uh, message that he preached here in this house and then wrote the book, He Sat Down, where Jesus, the Bible says, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He sat down. And you know what he's doing right, right now? He's seated. And we're, here we are crying, God, do something in the world, do something in Ohio, do something in Chicago, do something with, with North, North Korea. God, if you could do anything with North Korea, touch North Korea. And God said, okay, well, Jesus is sitting down. What are you going to do? Are you going to pray? Are you going to intercede? Are you going to go? You pick up that book. He sat down, and, and then he sent him. He sent him. The power of the Holy Spirit available in your life. Uh, we were talking beforehand at, at the 430 service, and there's a couple that are here, precious to us in this house. And, and they got wrecked in those waters over there and the Spirit of God filled them, filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're here tonight, God can fill you too. He wants to fill you with His power. Pick up both those books uh, in the foyer out there and it is with great pleasure that I get to introduce our speaker tonight. My wife and I gave our lives to the Lord 26 years ago under the ministry of Pastor Todd and Pastor Karen Smith and we have served with them in some capacity ever since. And so would you do us a favor, would you stand to your feet and give a great big North Georgia Revival welcome week 80 to our senior pastor, Pastor Todd Smith.
Praise God. Just remain standing for just a moment. Thank you, Pastor Marty. We love uh, Pastor Marty. And I love these men and their wives that host the North Georgia Revival with us. And I know uh, Pastor Ken is in the back, in the very back. I saw him a few moments ago. Or text, where is he, Pastor Ken? Griffiths. Okay, he's over there with his team. And Kennedy, all of you guys, and your precious wife. Pastor Ken, thank you for doing such a great job. And uh, your leg, we're going to be praying for healing there. But all of you men and all of you ladies, um, thank you. All of you for doing such a great job in hosting the North Georgia Revival. Without all of these churches that are participating, um, we could not do this. And this is a collaborative effort, and I honor you guys and thank God for you. So would you one more time let uh, the host pastors know. You may be seated. Um, Before I begin my message tonight, um, I, I want to make a really remarkable announcement that I think that is going to shake nations, and if not nations, will shock our nation and move us. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Marty and I and my wife and a few others were, um, had the privilege of ministering in Clarksville, Maryland at the, uh, the Hope Church and then also at uh, Word of Life Church in Oakton, Virginia. Well, as we're transitioning from um, Virginia to Maryland, obviously we passed through Washington, D.C., and I had heard about David's tent. David's tent is a tent that has been placed on the National Mall by Jason Hershey, and uh, he is the YWAM leader of the Washington, D.C. area, and he may be watching and his team may be watching at this moment. But they've been at the National Mall, literally right in the middle of the Capitol and the Washington Monument. It couldn't probably be even any more center than what it is. We had heard about that they had started praying and worshiping 24 hours a day in Washington, D.C., holding up um, the work of God, praying for revival in our country, and we decided we wanted to go see this tent. Anybody that's willing to pray 24 hours a day, come rain, snow, storms, whatever, we needed to go see it. Well, we drive up, and sure enough, there were people inside the tent praying, worshiping. And we were getting ready to leave, and uh, one of the ladies said, well, Jason is here, and sure enough, he's on his face, praying in the Holy Ghost, interceding and weeping for our country. So, not having a lot of couth, I just kind of walked up and just watched him and sat beside him. And then he saw that I was there, and I introduced myself, and told him about the North Georgia Revival and what God was doing, and his eyes got real big. Told him about the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the breaking of people's hearts, rendering it back to the Lord. And he looked at me and he says, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to baptize people right here on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. That's what I want to do. <laughs> he kind of looked at me and went, well, okay, let's do it. Well, I wasn't expecting that. He said, well, let's do it. I said, well, let's do it. What do we got to do? 
He says, well, we got to get a permit to be able to put a swimming pool on the National Mall. <laughs> so at this very moment, the permit is on someone's desk of the National Park Service. Yeah. So here, here's, here's our announcement to you. We really believe it's about 99.8% sure that this is going to happen. Now, in order for this to happen, our budget to get there to do this is around $40,000. $40,000 to take our team, our pastors, our host, our host pastors, uh, to be able to preach and to worship all night long. It's going to take an enormous amount of people, resources, energy. So it's around $40,000 to make that happen. I want to give you an opportunity right now to sow seed into helping us get there and baptize people. I don't know if we'll baptize 50, 500, 5,000. I don't know. There is a slight possibility that they won't let us baptize. There is that possibility, but we're still going to worship and to preach and to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ to our nation's capital. Come on now, somebody. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. Very simply, we need 40 people to give $1,000 or 80 people to give 500 Now, above that, my Alabama math does not work, so you guys figure that out. You know, 40,000 people to give a, a, a dollar. I, you know, I can do that. But we want to receive an offering. And the reason we're having to make that announcement without 100% surety is that it's going to take us two to three weeks to raise that kind of money, I think, or tonight. 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 We're going to ask people to sow out of their businesses, sow from their church, to put an investment into the kingdom of God. And then as many of you as possible, September the 13th and 14th, it is a Friday night and literally all day Saturday to literally Saturday evening. Obviously, we'll be flying back. Our pastors will be flying back to be able to preach on Sunday morning, but there'll be many others that will be preaching and baptizing through Saturday night on into Sunday morning. So if you can help us, you can make your checks out to Christ Fellowship Church and this offering will be completely dedicated to the North Georgia Revival, Baptismal Revival in Washington, D.C. So let's believe God for that tonight. Can you stand with me and let's take up this offering right here. I want you to pull out your very best seed, even those that are at home all over the world that love this country. You can give a text to give. You can help us get there. You can help us preach the gospel. You can help us. Now, let me give you an example because some of you are thinking, well, that $40,000 is a lot of money, and what's the expense? Let me tell you one of the expenses. It's nearly $2,000 to pump water into a swimming pool and to drain it. They will not allow us to drain it on the park. You understand what I'm saying on the national? They just won't let us unplug it. So we have to get it brought in and removed. So those are the type, some of the expenses that we're having. It literally right at $2,000 just to make that happen. So please stand with us. You can make your checks out to Christ Fellowship Church. Father, we love you and bless you. God, I am at complete, total peace. I am not worried about the resources or the finances because I know your people love this nation. And Lord, they believe in what you're doing through this North Georgia revival. Father, we stand united tonight that this nation's best days are not behind us 
but are now and yet to come. They are now and yet to come. Say it, now and yet to come. One more time, now and yet to come. Lord, you have brought pastors and leaders from all over the world to this place, not because there's any magic formula, but Lord, you have brought men and women that are hungry and thirsty for you. They're tired of religion. They're tired of the empty emotionalism. And God, we want the real, authentic move of your spirit that is nameless and faceless. That no one, no ministry, no person will get glory but you alone. As we put our feet on that ground, these pastors, all of these people that are going to go from various churches, may the earth literally shake with every step that we take. We reclaim our nation's capital for you. We reclaim it. We're not going to take it by force. We're not going to be violent. We're not going to be filled with vitriol. We're not going to be angry. But God, we reclaim the nation that was founded upon the Judeo-Christian ethic. We reclaim it for your purposes in love, in purity, in righteousness, in holiness, and in demonstration of your spirit. Bless this endeavor. I am at peace that your people will share and make this a reality. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated as you give your offering tonight. I want you to go to Mark chapter 16. Thank you, Pastor Larry, for reading the scripture tonight. We have a whole contingent from uh, the Southeast Louisiana Revival. Would you guys stand up? Where are our people from the Southeast Louisiana Revival? All of you pastors, many, many pastors from that area. Church members, thank you guys so very much. Love you. I want you to go to Mark chapter uh, 16. Mark chapter 16. There's a funny story, but it's been noted by a scientific study which was done for married couples. I'm going to help you out tonight. You ready? All right, I'm going to ask you again. I said, are you ready? Right. Here's the scientific study. They found that women who carry around a few extra pounds live longer than the husbands that mention it. Now touch somebody and say, don't mention it. That's free. I love the Amish saying that was like this, and this is true. We grow old too soon and smart too late. We grow old too soon and smart too late. Tonight, you and I are going to get smart. But what I'm going to say to you may be a little contentious. All right, I want to say that again, and I just want you to take a deep breath because I'm going to come at you tonight 
What I say tonight may be a little contentious. All right. And <laughs> unsettling and potentially disruptive. I'm ready. I hope you are. Mark 16. Pastor Larry read this scripture, verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart. They did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, I need you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now stop, everybody look at me for a moment. Jesus knows that just in a matter of moments he's about to ascend to heaven. In a matter of minutes, he is about to vacate the premises. He's going to go right through the roof. The disciples are going to run outside and look up into the sky, and Jesus is going to ascend back to heaven. But the disciples do not know this. So they just think it's another Bible study. They think, they think it's another moment of gathering where Jesus has uh, collected his disciples and he is teaching them, his small group. They have no idea that just in a moment, their whole world's about to be turned upside down. Now, how many of us in this room know that when someone, if they are about to take their last breath or the last few minutes or the last few days, that when the family gathers around the room, the bed, that what the loved one who is about to pass on, what they have to say is very important. That they measure their words that they want to be concise and to be very laser-like and pinpoint exactly what they want to communicate to their loved ones. The disciples have no idea that Jesus is about to go to heaven and never come back to planet Earth until he comes back for the second time in his coming. But Jesus knows. So he takes this opportunity to gather his loved ones around him and he gives them some, uh, some instructions his last instructions. He says, I want you to go into all the world. And he won't, I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. And then he says, he who believes and will be baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Jesus is, is setting the framework, if you will. And then he goes, verse 17, I want you to know that these signs are going to follow those who believe. And he's talking to the believing ones, his disciples. He says, you're going to go and you're going to cast out devils and you're going to speak with new tongues. And you're going to take up serpents and if, they, and if you drink any deadly thing, it by no means will hurt you. And I want you to go lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. What Jesus is doing is giving them their marching orders. How many of you have known a loved one that has passed on and he says, okay, here's what I need you to do with my portfolio. Here's what I need you to do with the insurance settlement. Here's what I want you to do uh, to a son. I want you to finish college. Promise me that you'll finish college. You understand what I'm saying here. To the grandchildren, he's looking and, and he's pouring his heart out to them and says, I want you to love God with all of your heart and I want you to obey your mom and dad and honor them. Because he knows that he's passing on. So here Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, I want you to go into all the world and preach this gospel. And as you go, you're going to lay hands on the sick. They're going to recover. You're going to cast out devils. And people are going to be set free. Jesus is giving them their orders, their assignment. Now notice, if you will, 
Verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down. He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. Now I'm gonna piggyback to what Pastor Marty said a few moments ago. What is Jesus doing at this very moment? He's sitting down. Five times in the scripture, it is mentioned that Jesus went to heaven and sat down. Two reasons why Jesus went to heaven and he sat down. One, he finished his sacrificial death on the cross, the propitiation for our sins, he accomplished as the perfect lamb of God. When he died, he made provision for mankind to have an intimate personal relationship with God. So that was done. But John chapter 17 tells us also that Jesus said to the Father, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Now, before I moved to Dawsonville, Georgia, I lived on 10 acres of land. It was my responsibility to cut a certain, a certain portion of the grass. Now, I made sure that I cut the easy part of the grass. And I didn't sweat very much. Because having that much land, I needed a 60-inch Xmart Zero turn lawnmower that would literally go eight miles an hour while you're cutting the grass. I would do my part of the cutting of the grass, being dad. I would do my part, and then when I was finished, I would come inside and I would sit down because my portion of the work was over. But my two boys had responsibilities to edge, to cut, to weed eat, to pick up branches, to literally finish what I started. Now, I would come in and sit down and really enjoy them finishing the work. If they did not finish the work, the work wasn't completed. My job was done. My assignment was done. But their portion was not completed. And so when I would leave my home and I would go out of my driveway, I would look to my right. There was a big oak tree, in fact, two of them. And if it had not been weed-eated, in my opinion, the job wasn't done. Does that make sense to everyone? So the Bible says that Jesus sat down because he finished the work that the Father sent him to do. Now, does this help anybody so far? Now, there's a dichotomy that I want to leave you with. I want to build for, for, for just a few moments. I'm going to preach, then we're going to baptize. There's this epic universal struggle, and I write about it in the book He Sat Down, but there's this interesting dichotomy. Now, listen to it and pay close attention to it. There is a struggle that has us completely dependent and relying on God for our very existence, our everything. I do not think that there would be anybody in this room that would disagree with that, that we are dependent and rely on God for our everything. 
Our very breath comes from him. Amen? Everything. We rely on him. However, on the other side, and what makes this so interesting and compelling, now listen to me, this is where it gets contentious. That God, at the same time we are depending upon him, he is ultimately dependent upon us. Mm. Now, I'm going to go Star Trek with you tonight. I'm going to go where few preachers dare to go. We're going to have a kitchen table talk. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to scream at you. But I need you to put on your thinking caps for the next few moments because we're going to reason together. We're going to become logical in our approach to the Scripture. Because I think sometimes the church checks their brain at the door. We don't like to talk about issues that make us uncomfortable. We don't like to ask tough questions, and certainly we don't want to answer society's toughest questions. So there's this dichotomy, this struggle that you and I are in the midst of. We rely on him for our everything, but at the same time, ultimately God is dependent upon us. Man, Now, let me say this from the very beginning. This is what he has chosen to do. Completely his desire. Are you with me? God is God. I admit that he is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is everywhere, all at the same time. He has the capacity to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Can I get an amen right there? No force on earth or below the earth can match him. His strength cannot be duplicated. His fierce power no man can contain. All right, come on now. I feel like I'm in a, I'm in a Baptist church. I, 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 need a, I need you to stay with me right here because I'll preach better. The forces of nature obey his every command. The demons of hell tremble at the mention of his name. The mountains melt like wax in his presence. Angels bow, sickness leaves, and death shrivels. Now with me saying all of that, and I believe every statement, I need to say, God needs us. Not to complete himself as if he is incomplete. Not because he has a weakness, because he has no weakness. Let me help you. God needs us. Do you realize that tonight that there are 4.9 million people in this country involved in the human traffic industry. Nearly 5 million people are swept up in this human sex trafficking industry, mainly women and children. They're involved. They can't get out. How many of you believe that's a bad thing? 
Do you realize that according to the Motor Vehicle Safety Department that every day 29 people in America die because of drunk driving accidents in our country? That's one death every 50 minutes. How many of us believe that's a bad thing? Do you realize that today 3,000 people across the world will take their own life? 3,000 people every 24 hours commit suicide. That is one person every 40 seconds. Do you realize, according to the United Nations, that 18,000 children within the last 24 hours died due to starvation in our world? Now let that sink into your mind. I need you to think with me in a moment. We're going to get in the water. You're going to be baptized. You're going to be wrecked. But I'm here to tell you tonight that the baptismal waters today are marked for a very specific purpose. It is an activation baptism tonight. There will be healings, there will be miracles, but by and large, it is an activation baptism tonight. 18,000 children died last night, and another 18,000 children will die tonight in the next 24 hours. That is equivalent to 60 jumbo jets falling out of the sky every 24 hours. Here is my question for you in light of the dichotomy, in light of the struggle that I am completely relying upon God, but God is completely relying upon me at the same time. There's this, there's this conflict my question to you is this, what in the world is God doing about all of those statistics that I gave you? That every 50 seconds, a drunk driver takes someone's life. That every 40 seconds, someone ODs or puts a gun to their head or a rope around their neck or slits their wrists or their throats. The bloated babies. Just a morsel of food and some clean drinking water would save their lives. My question to you is this. What is God doing about those issues? Do we all agree, agree that God has the capacity in all of his strength and power and majesty with one snap of the finger, one blink of the eye, one nod of the head, one tap of the foot to eradicate all starvation in the planet? Do you believe that God has the strength, if he so chose to, to cause no more, any longer, any drunk driving accidents in our country? My question to you is this then why doesn't he? Now listen, think about it. Why doesn't he do something? Because we say God is all-knowing, all-powerful, right? 
We say that God loves everyone. And so this is where atheists and non-believers and agnostics take us to task because they want to know if our God is so loving and so compassionate and all so powerful, why in the world does God allow 18,000 innocent children a day to die in our world? How is it possible that a loving family on their way to church goes through an intersection and someone begins to text and drive and cannot see the red light in front of them and they cross through the subdivision and at the same time, a 60 mile an hour person goes through the intersection and T-bones them in the side and all four, now mind you, on their way to church, small group leaders die. Has anybody thought about this other than myself? Has anybody decided to answer the question, where is God in the midst of all of these tragedies? Where was God in the Pulse nightclub? When a gentleman walks in with a loaded rifle, automatic rifle, and he murders 49 young people, where was God just a few weeks ago when a madman walks into a Walmart and wipes out saved and unsaved, blood bought, unredeemed? You have to understand something the way God put things into order. Can I help you here? That you and I live in a world system that the Bible says that we are pilgrims and sojourners that we are literally passing through and that the God of this world literally controls the environment of our society. Now that's good Bible. Now at any moment, God has power, potential. I'm not minimizing his capabilities. But you have to understand Genesis chapter 1 to understand how the world works. Can I help us this, morning, this evening? Genesis chapter 1, I want you to turn there in your Bibles, and I want you to pay close attention to verse 26. Verse 26. The Bible says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Do you have it? He said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have, everybody say the word dominion. Let man have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over, every, uh, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse uh, 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, both male and female. And then he, verse 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Now everybody just stop for just a moment. If you understand Genesis 1, John 1, Acts 1, Revelation 1, you will understand the plan and purpose of God for the earth. Genesis chapter 1, God says, I'm going to enter into a covenant with mankind. I'm going to create this blue ball. I'm going to create this sphere. Now, isn't it absolutely amazing, to my right and to your left, this painting? 
She had no idea that I'm preaching on this tonight. So God is doubling down with us right now. He says, I'm gonna enter into a contract with mankind. I'm going to create this sphere. I'm gonna create this livable planet. I'm gonna put people on the planet, Adam and Eve, and I'm gonna give them complete dominion over the planet. Now, I know some of us, and I love this scripture because it gives us freedom to kill animals. I know, uh, don't, don't get mad at me, don't, okay. But it's more than hunting. It's more than fishing and killing animals. It's it, literally what he is trying to say. He says, as high as the bird can fly and as deep as a fish could swim, I am giving mankind jurisdiction and dominion over the earth. So here's what God did. He says, I'm going to create you, Adam, and I'm going to create you, Eve, and I'm giving you this earth as a gift, and I want you to dominate it. As you go, the earth goes. Now, I'm going to be over it, watching over it, but I'm not going to manipulate every living thing. Don't make me work tonight. Because this is foreign to some of us because we are living in a, in, in a bubble. God created man to have dominion on the earth. Saved and unsaved men. He created it for Adam to dominate it, but he lost it. So therefore, now unsaved men can dominate and subdue the earth. And God allows it to happen. He's not controlling every decision that every person makes. There are some decisions that people make that God doesn't even allow, but because he has had a hands-off approach to planet Earth to a certain extent, that we are the product of our own choices. He really doesn't care where you buy your gas. Well, I'm just going to sit here and let be led of the Holy Ghost where I'm going to buy my gas. I'm sure he's saying to you, just buy your gas. Well, Lord, do I get, do I get the package of rice that has low sodium or high sodium? Would you please speak to me? Just buy the rice. He's not in every decision that we make. You understand what I'm saying? Am I going to wash my sheets tonight? God, should I wash my sheets? Just wash the sheets. Now, I'm not minimizing the role that God plays in our life, but I'm just telling you that God has given dominion to mankind on the earth. That's why Hitler, now stay with me, Hitler, without intervention from God, can kill six million people. Have any of us ever asked, why, did not, why didn't God stop that? That's why before him, Stalin could kill 12 million of his own citizens. All the while, God is sitting down. Is he concerned? Is it problematic to him? Yes, but God has given rulership to the earth to humanity. Good choices and bad choices. So this really upsets the theological presuppositions and app cards that we have all grown up with. 
Again, I'm not minimizing his power nor his authority. At any moment, he could snap his finger and every human on the planet be obliterated. In fact, the Bible says that the earth is his footstool. But remember this. He entered into a relationship with Adam and Eve and said, I'm giving you dominion. Now, both God and Satan both know this relationship. Satan cannot put his bony finger on a nuclear button But what he can do is speak to people and influence people and try to get people to do bad things. I want to give you something here, and this is going to blow your mind because I want you to look at it, and I want you to look at that picture right there. The world that you and I live in today is under man management. The reason 18,000 children died last night and will die tonight and tomorrow night and the next night is because we're not managing the world very well. The reason bad people get into office is because we're not managing our society and our culture well. The reason prayer was taken out of schools is because the church did not exercise its dominion in our nation. The reason the Ten Commandments have been pulled out is because the church did not take its rightful place in our society. The reason Roe v. Wade was put into practice and not, has not yet been overturned is because the church has not taken its rightful place and men who believe in murder, believe in the... have exercised their dominion over us, the church, while we sit back and sing kumbaya. So I got to share with you four or five lines of bad belief. Can I help you right now? Are we doing okay? Are we doing okay? You still love me. Everything that I'm saying tonight is in the book he sat down. I preached this book. I, I preached it and wrote it about four years ago, and it is the foundation to this move of God. Every pastor needs to get it. I think I only got 30 copies. It was trending within the top 1% of all books on Amazon about three or four weeks ago. The nation's getting a hold of this. But it's contentious. It's provocative. Bad lines of belief in the church. I don't know if you're ready for this. Touch your neighbor and say, buckle up. Oh, come on, buckle up, buckle up. Here we go. Here's the mindset that the church, remember the world is under Man management, all right? 
The world is under man management. Now, God wants to influence the world, but how will he influence the world? Through men. The world's under man management. Now, here's bad line of belief number one. Are you ready? Write it down. In the church, this is what we believe. No matter what we do or don't do, God's will on the earth will be done. Now, what I'm giving you sounds right. It even appears to be biblical. It is so close to the truth that we call it truth. And we have the mindset that no matter what we do or don't do, God's will on the earth will be done. Can I tell you unequivocally and unapologetically that this is a false belief? Because if it fails in one category, the whole argument is flawed. Now I'm going to say that again. It looks biblical. We like to say it because it takes pressure off of us. Regardless of what I do or don't do, God's will will be done in my life or in the life of our society. The Bible says that it is God's will that none should perish. People perish every day. It's God's will being done. Somewhere along the way, we have developed a mindset that God is our superhero. That regardless of the choices and decisions that we make, that God somehow, at the end of the day, will be like Spider-Man, Batman, or whomever, Superman, and swoop in at the last moment and rescue us and pull us out of the fiery building. There have been a lot of people in the Bible and throughout history who have crashed and burned and God did not show up. Write this statement down. How can I say it? I can never do what only God can do. And God will never do what he has asked me to do. I can never do what only God can do, and yet God will never do what he's asked me to do. So it leads me to bad belief number two. If God wills it, then it will come to pass. And there's nothing that can stop it. Oh, yeah? Really? We say it all the time. If God wants me to have that house, it'll be here this time next year. <laughs> if God wants me to buy that car, nothing can stop it. How about your credit? Huh? If God wills it, there's nothing that can stop it. If God wants me to have that job, nothing can stop it. How about you come to work late and your reputation precedes you? 
it's God's will for you to have that job, but if you don't do the right things on your side, lining up and doing things full of integrity and character, there's nothing that's going to allow you to get that job. If God wills it, then it will come to pass. No. I like it. Bad belief number three. If God wants it to happen, then there is nothing that can stop it. How many of you believe that it is God's will for you to be married to one person for your entire life? I'm going to ask you again. <laughs> See, we got problems right here, bro. I need to back up. Uh, you just didn't hear me. How many of us believe it is God's will for you to get married to one person and for you two to remain as partners until the day you die? I believe that. But if you believe this, you're in a whole heap of trouble. Because here's why. He's on a business trip in Miami. His meeting gets done about 8.30. He goes to the bar. He's having some, a drink. This lady that he had seen earlier in the day comes and sits across the bar from him, down the, from the bar. Their eyes meet, and they begin to strike up a conversation. Not one person in this room would believe that them two sharing a room that night is God's will. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's not one person in this room knowing that back home is a mother that has been married to that man for 10 years and she has two small children, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old waiting patiently for the husband to come home, but in a moment of weakness or lust, he decides to talk to her and the next thing they begin to have another drink and another drink and they lose their faculties and they end up sharing a room together. If God wants it to happen, there is nothing that can stop it. I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of things that can stop the will of God from happening. God is not up in heaven, and he has created us as robots, and that you will do everything that he wants you to do. We have choices in our lives. He has given us control, and watch this, he has given us control over our own lives. So guess what happens? All hell breaks loose at home. She finds out about it. No matter what we do or don't do, God's will on the earth will be done. Not necessarily. It wasn't God's will for that couple to end up in divorce court. It wasn't God's will now for those two children to be confused and go to one home on Thanksgiving and another home on the later night that Thanksgiving to have two Christmases, to have four sets of grandparents. 
And I'm not being insensitive. I'm just telling you that was never God's plan for that family. But because he exercised dominion over his own life and his own choices, he says, I'm going to decide what I'm going to do tonight. Here's the next one. We've heard this before, haven't we? We've said it. God's in control of everything. <laughs> it makes us feel good. Talk to me. I'm not, I'm not being blasphemous tonight. I'm not being sacrilegious. I'm trying to be intellectual with you tonight. I'm trying to reason with you tonight because the atheists and skeptics and agnostics are killing us. Because we refuse to deal with these issues from a biblical standpoint. And so what we end up doing in the church, we go to churches that give us our cute talking points. Because we don't want to deal with the consequences of choices and decisions, we'll just simply say, well, God's in control. Nothing happens unless God wills it. Whoever he wants in office, they'll get into office. My vote doesn't matter. Can I make a statement here and don't stone me? Thank God we don't have rocks in the building. God is not in control of everything. He has the capacity. I'm not minimizing his godness. I'm not shrinking his ability. But remember Genesis 1, I'm giving you this earth. Now you subdue it and control it. God is in control of everything. And if it fails in one moment, in one argument, and in one place, if he's not in control of one thing, then he's not in control of everything. Can I help you? Are you ready? Because we'll say this. Well, God's in control. Nineteen-year-old girl finds out she's pregnant. Instead of dealing with the embarrassment and the shame, her and her boyfriend put together a plan. She goes to a clinic. And she has an abortion. There's not one person in this room, at least I hope not, would believe that God's in control of that. Do you hear me? But if you say God controls everything, that's just the way for us to have this mental fog of not taking responsibility and dealing intellectually with issues. God is not in control of everything. Does he have the capacity? Yes. But when that girl chooses to take dominion over her own body and the body on the inside of her and sit on that table and allow the, listen, the person to put the inside of her and dismember limb by limb. My question to you tonight is where 
is God. When 2,500 to 3,000 babies a day in our country alone, over 55 million abortions later, I have to ask you a question. If God is in control of everything, I want to know what in the world he is doing about that. I want to know where God is. A friend of mine comes home and finds their 16-year-old son's brains blown across the wall of his bedroom. Another friend of mine, I want to know where God was. Because the church will hide behind God controls everything. Tell that to the parents when they come home. They lift up the garage and they find the engine running with their son inside the car completely lifeless. It is time that the church gets out from behind the talking points that make us feel good and answer these questions. Where was God at the moment in Walmart? I have to break it to you. He is not in control of everything. sit behind your computer the wife's asleep kids are in bed something pops up on your computer screen and you click it and pornography runs across your screen I have the ability to dominate that situation are to allow it to dominate me. And in my flesh, I have no strength. But God told his disciples, a small group study, I'm leaving. Here's your assignment. But before you go, I need you to climb some stairs. Before you preach the gospel, go to Jerusalem and climb some stairs and get to the upper room. I'm leaving you. But before I go, you need to know John 14, 12, the works that I have done, you shall do also in greater works than these. You got to read the whole New Testament as Jesus prayed for his disciples and said, God, oh God, I have finished the work that you have given me, but as you have sent me into the world, now I take this small band of men and women and I'm going to send them into the world. Because Jesus understood the contract between man and God that man has dominion over 
the earth. And he says, go to the upper room and you stay there until you are endued with power. That I myself will come to live on the inside of you. I will come and I will come inside of your flesh. The, the, the flesh, the, the mortal you, the decaying you, the dying you, the wrinkling you. I will come to live on the inside of you. And me in you. Me in you. Me in you. We'll cast out devils. Lay hands on the sick. I've got to wrap it up, but listen. Verse John chapter 12, verse 27, verse 28 says it this way. He says, you are now my body. And the whole truth is this. The world is going to hell faster than we can keep up with it because the church is too busy. Watch this. Watch this. The church is too busy just trying to survive, trying to get another breakthrough to overcome the addictions that they've already been set free from three, four, five months ago, six and seven years ago. The church is still coddling around the altar. Oh, God help us. Oh, God help us. If the church ever gets free and understands that God is not in control of this world, but he wants to subdue it through his children. Everywhere my foot shall go, I take the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come near you. Go and lay hands on the sick. See them recover in Jesus' name. While we're waiting on God to do his thing, he's waiting on the church to do its thing. Whoa! Yes! 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 There's got to come a time that you stop going through the tunnels of fire to get your fix to make it through another week. There comes a time when you come to the altar not to get fixed, but to get empowered. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. If I can get the church fixed, that's why this revival has never been about miracles. It's not about miracles. We love miracles and thank God for miracles. But it is about an activation of our lives that we get a hold that Jesus is sitting down. And if the church doesn't stand up, then the work of God does not get done. Do you hear me? If we do not stand up, the church and God's work will not get done. Sit down. I close with this. How are we doing? How are we doing since he left us with this? How? Come on. How are we doing since he, he's left the church to us? He's left the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.17 or 5.18 says, listen to this. He says, I have given you 
Lebo, come here. I have given you the ministry of reconciliation. So understand, here, bring, that, bring that up here. Just pull that. No, don't, give me a, give me a chair. Quickly, John, give me a quick. Quickly, right here. Jesus went to heaven, but before he left, he says, I'm giving you, 2 Corinthians 5.18, the ministry of reconciliation. I am, and he says in verse 9, I am committing to you the ministry of reconciliation. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, I am entrusting you with the gospel. Everything that I've done, every teaching, every example, I spent three years with you. I am transferring all responsibility of the gospel to you. And I'm going to sit down. Can I help you? He, he's not getting back up. Only one time from the book of Acts to Revelation that we find Jesus standing, and it was at the death of Stephen the martyr. And when Stephen said, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus welcomed him. And he sat back down. He says, I'm giving it to you. But before you go, I want to fill you with me. So when you preach, I'm preaching through you. So here it is. All God needs is a body. Jesus came in a body. It was necessary for him to come in the body. Because why? The contract. The first Adam lost it, the second Adam's gonna get it back. But he had to come like a man. That's why in verse 20, that when they went out to preach the gospel, the Bible says the Lord went with them. He's in heaven, but he went with them, confirming the signs. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I beg you, brothers, listen, by the mercies of God, that you present your, your body a living sacrifice. He just needs your body. Both Satan and God are looking for bodies. Go take your rifle and kill those people. Play this video game and watch the carnage. Doesn't it make you feel good? Fill your heart with hate. Now go kill. He walks in and he destroys people. Saved and unsaved. Even saved people die when God doesn't want them to die. Well, I didn't think, I thought nobody could die unless God wills it. Read your Bible. We have the mindset that everybody has a born date and a death date. You can't find it in Scripture. 
He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So if that's the case, you believe that everybody has a death date and nobody can die unless at God's will. Explain the abortion. Explain it logically, rationally. Come on, guys. Not to talking points, but explain it. God has given men dominion over the earth, and sometimes bad men make choices that affect good people. When you text and drive, you take your life into your own hands and the life of others that are coming your way. Well, my, my angels will protect me. Tell that to the four-year-old right now in a hotel room being molested and sexually abused by a 60-year-old man. And here's how the church deals with it. Nothing happens unless God wills it. And we remain dumb in the church. Well, I don't know. We're just going to trust God. No. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Yield your body to God. Get off your behind and start being Jesus to a lost and dying world. Those 18,000 babies could be saved if the church became not stingy. The human trafficking industry can be shut down if we had the church of God begin to intercede and to get active and not at a conference where you throw a few dollars at it. The abortion industry could be shut down in a moment if the church got serious. All God needs is a body. Be seated. I'm about done. So here's what God's left to do. We get, we get weird in the church. Somebody dies, a teenager dies. You know, I know they've been called to the ministry. Young people love God, incredible future, brilliant. And all of a sudden something happens, an accident, something happens and they die. Here's how the church deals with it. Well, it just must have been his time. Well, the Lord just needed an angel. No, no. He's texting and driving. And the Spirit of God is saying to him as he's driving. Put the phone down. Put the phone down. And because he believes that nothing will happen to him unless God wills it, that he can act like a he can act like any way he wants to act. Put the phone down. His mother's face flashes before his eyes. Put the phone down. And he doesn't. 
So he veers off into a ditch and dies. It has happened. And because we say it was God's will, tell that to a parent who's lost a teenager. Who wants to serve a God like that? Killing my teenager. And if he could stop it, he should have. So here's what God's job is. I got to pick up the carnage. I got to tell the family I'm here. I got to minister to the mother and the father. Over here, people are mad at me. The dad is running from me. The mother hates me because she feels it was my fault. But I tried to tell him. I tried to tell him to put the phone down. I'm not going to control everything in his life. I'm not going to yank it out of his phone. I speak to him. My sheep shall hear my voice. The children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so God is constantly speaking to us. Don't look at the sight. Don't look at the pornography sight. And he speaks to us. Please, please, please get to church. Get to church. Submit yourself to me. I will handle you. But we say no. And all of a sudden it opens up the doors. And we're left pick up the pieces. I know you're thinking, Todd, you are killing me. What can I believe in? Believe in a God that so set up a system that he's given us free choice. And the Bible says if you'll submit yourself to God, if you'll draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. We have have to learn to live by the Spirit. save your life. And when catastrophe happens, do not blame him. All God is looking for is a body. Stand your feet. to show you one statistic then I'm done 7.4 billion people on the planet you got it you know how many of them are Christians 31% say I'm listening 55 million people die every year you may want to take some pictures of this because I'm going to go through it quickly in about 90 seconds watch this 2.3 billion people on the earth are saved. So when 55 million people die a year, if 31% of them are saved, that means that 17 million people died and went to heaven last year. 5.1 billion people, 69% of society all over the world are unsaved. That means last year that 38 million people died and went to hell. It's in my book. 17 went to heaven, 17 million, 38 million went to hell. Of the unsaved, 42.2% of the world lives in what we call an unreached people group, which is less than 1% of that nation is Christian. That means you can live your entire life without ever hearing a clear presentation of the gospel. Coca-Cola has been in business for 130 to 140 years. 
They have about 120 to 150,000 employees at Coca-Cola. And in 130 years, they literally have a Coke product within walking distance of every human on the planet. We've had Christianity for over 2,000 years. We have 2.1 billion adherents to it. And yet, 42% of the world lives in a society that they can live and die and never hear the message of Jesus. That's 3.2 billion people live in an unreached area. Let's assume that 42.2% of all dead last year were in an unreached area. That means 23 million people went to hell who had not heard the gospel one time. When is this going to bother us? Every 24 hours, 151,000 people die. If 31% of them are Christian, 47,000 went to heaven over the last 24 hours, but yet 104,000 people stepped out into eternity that were unsaved. If 42.2% live in an unreached people group, that literally means that 64,000 people die every day who have not heard the gospel not one time in their life. While the church is trying and begging for Jesus to come back the second time, listen, 42% of the world don't even know he came the first time. I'm here to tell you he's not coming back anytime soon. I know that hurts you, but things aren't bad enough quite yet, and he's not going to come when 42% of the world has not even heard that he's come the first time. So just go ahead and prepare yourself that he wants my body. reason I threw those up in the last few moments is this. God needs a body. That's all he needs. And when you get in that water tonight, it may be about your healing, but your healing is temporary. He's not going to touch your body just to get you healed so you can feel better and stop your aches and pains. He's wanting to touch your body so that he can possess your body. He can feel your body so that you can get up, stand up, and go be him to a lost and dying world. Now, how can I do that? Some of you don't go to church anywhere. Some of you are mad at the church, you're upset at the church, you're bitter at the church, and you don't go to church. One of the best things that you can do is to find yourself in one of these pastor's churches or some other pastor's churches and get in there, volunteer, give your body to the work of God, give your money to the work of God. I'm done. You ready? Here's my altar call. Very simple. Lift your hands. Say, Jesus, here's my body. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. I yield it completely to you. Touch me. Change me. I repent. I turn to you. I will stand up. I will take your place. I will be your body. In Jesus' name.
Let's find a place to get on our knees. Find a place to get on your knees. If you're physically able, find a place. Make your chair an altar. Make your place an altar right now. Find a place. Who in this room, as you're getting ready to pray, can say, Todd, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never given my soul to him. I, I've, I've, not, I've not been his disciple. I'm not following him, but I want to be saved. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand as high as you can in this room so that I can see it. I want to be born again tonight. I want to be born again. Anybody in this room, lift it as high as you can. I want to be saved. 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 Anybody, anybody, high, high. Lift it up, 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 lift it up. I see it. I see it. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, I see that hand. I see it. I see those hands in the back. Yeah, are there others that need to be born again? Come on, church, let's pray this out loud for those that are going to pray it for the first time. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I give you my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Come into my life and save me. I give you my life, and I will follow you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, as soon as we say amen in just a moment, I want you to come to the front and see me, talk to me. Let's repent. Shalom. God, have your way in this country. Use us. Use us. Here's my body. Let me step out into eternity completely exhausted and used up with nothing else to do. Here's my body. Let's lift our voices, begin to travail in the Lord and to well before Him, would you right now? Begin to pray. Pastors, begin to pray for your congregation. Men and women, begin to pray. Those at home, begin to pray. In your hotel room, begin to pray. team to get ready but tonight tonight it's a service of activation do you hear me it's your body that will meet the fire of God tonight If you're ready and would like to be baptized, here's the instruction. We're going to move from this side of these steps. You're going to come from all over. You're going to come up these steps only. You're going to receive a letter. And then at that letter, you're going to see it come up on the screen. And they're going to help you at that moment to get baptized. So you're going to come in just a moment. Hundreds of you will come to receive your letter to encounter him in the water. He's coming after your body tonight. I said he's coming after your body tonight. 
So on the count of three, I want you to come. One, two, three. You're ready to be baptized right now all over the building. Come quickly, 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 quickly. Come, 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 come. Come on, let's give God praise. Come on, let's give him praise. Let's rejoice. He's coming for bodies tonight. He's coming for bodies tonight. Church, let's just continue to keep a frame, a mindset, a prayer, just intercession during this time. The Lord has really spoken to our hearts tonight. He's challenged us. How many have been challenged tonight? We've been exhorted. We've got been commissioned tonight. The Lord has spoken to us. We have a role. We have a responsibility in the kingdom the kingdom work for God. So we just want to continue in that. These are going to get baptized. The Lord's going to touch these people. There are many of you out here tonight that maybe not getting baptized, but you are needing for the Lord to touch your life. You're, you're standing in need of prayer of something. So this is what I want to ask you to do. All the prayer team members, if you're one of the altar workers, one of the altar workers, would y'all come and just stand right here? All the altar workers, if you're one of the altar workers, these people have a badge. It's this altar team. Just get them to come up right here. All the altar team, some of the altar team workers, come and stand right here. Y'all just come and get right in the front right here. If you're needing prayer, if you're needing prayer for anything, I want to ask you to come and find one of these altar team members, and they're going to pray with you and agree with you according to Matthew 18, 19. If any agree on earth is touching anything they ask, it shall be done for them, for their Father which is in heaven. So we want to agree with you together tonight and believe for the Lord's touch on you. So if any of you need prayer for anything, come and find one of these. They're going to minister to you. We're going to baptize these tonight and hope that you can just continue to stay and, and pray and just worship and just continue pressing in. And for those of you that are registered for the pastors and leaders conference remember that's going to be tomorrow morning and all day tuesday if you would still like to attend the pastors and leaders conference you can get registered for that online tonight or see someone out in the foyer uh, for that tonight so god bless you thank you let's just continue pressing into the lord here for a little while
Tears are still.